Well, we come now to finish off the book of uh, Amos. I only want to read the final five verses of chapter 9. Uh, these are verses of uh, restoration. God says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. The, the final verses that we looked at last week uh, God commanded uh, that the nation would be uh, sifted and shaken in judgment, but he also promised that not one pebble uh, would fall. And we talked about God preserving his people even in the light of judgment. Uh, today's passage brings us to some uh, beautiful themes, themes of salvation amid the devastation and the complete devastation of the nation comes these unexpected promises of future restoration. We'll see that this is uh, God's way and not uh, man's way. The first thing that we'll see is that prophecy is fulfilled in these last verses of Amos. And it's very important because we are going to look at the uh, salvation of God in action. Uh, God has uh, always had a, a plan uh, to save a multitude from every nation, language, tribe, and people. And it leaps off the page in this prophecy and shows us the fulfillment. Uh, the book of Psalms, for instance, uses the, the name nations, or the word nations, I should say, uh, about 60 times. So the writers of the Psalms knew God's plan is for the nations. Nations come under his scope and his uh, purview. Uh, the final verses in Amos contain two timestamps. Verse 11 says, in that day. Uh, and verse 13 says, behold, the days are coming. And it's just by way of review that we could look back at chapter 2, 16, 5, 18, and 20. Uh, chapter 8, verse 3. Chapter 8, verse 9. And chapter 8, verse 13. And see either the day of the Lord or in that day. We've been talking about that and Amos has been talking about that. The prophet's mouth speaks what God is going to do, and God says this is what's going to happen uh, at, at that certain time. Uh, the task of the Old Testament prophet, as we learned, was to address the present in the light of the future. The prophet, we learned, is the herald of God's advent, what God is going to do. The historical now. Uh, receives its seriousness from the viewpoint of the end of all things. And we've been seeing that in the prophets frequently. In the light of what's coming, this is what you need to do uh, right now. Uh, God's, it's, uh, oh, the, the prophet predicts God's future, the coming acts of God, as arising out of the nature of God. 
and God points Amos, the nation of Israel, and us to look at what will happen uh, in that day. God's plan is fulfilled, his plans are executed, and his sovereignty is at work. And notice what he says in, in verse 11. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who were called by my name, declares the Lord uh, who does this. And this um, uh, passage is uh, repeated, and, and, and uh, the fulfillment is in Acts chapter 15. Uh, it's right in the middle of the Jerusalem council uh, that this passage is mentioned. There's historic changes going on in the book of Acts. Uh, God's uh, words are being fulfilled. Christ has given the commission, go therefore into all the nations. He told them that you'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Samaria, he said, to the ends of the earth. And this, and this is, is, is happening. This is what's going on. We're right in the middle of it. We've been studying on Wednesday evening, and Gary's been teaching us about the, these prayers in the book of Acts. And, and it'll all tie in. We'll see what's going on. Chapter 9 in the, books of, in the book of Acts is Saul's conversion. God's bringing the people together who are going to help to fulfill this uh, prophecy. Chapter 10, Cornelius sees a vision and Peter sees a vision. And the visions correspond and they get together and uh, they begin to listen to the preaching when they're finally together. And in chapter 10, verse 44 and 45, it says, While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening. And this is God's sovereignty and it's, the, it's spontaneous and the... the Result was amazement because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Not some coaching session. If you want the Holy Spirit, all you got to do is say this. Go into this room and you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not that. It spontaneously fell and overtook them. And that's how the apostles knew that it was real and it was authentic. It's God's advent. It's God's power. They go back in chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, and they report what happened to Jerusalem. Chapter 11, verses 19 and following, Paul and Barnabas are together, uh, and they're commissioned to get a, a, an offering, and it, it spreads to Antioch. And you remember, all this uh, teaching went on there, and uh, the disciples were called Christians, and it says they stayed there about a year. Uh, chapter 12, we just looked at that. Persecution comes. Herod kills James, the son of Alphaeus, and he sees, wow, the, the Jews like that. Here's, the, here's this politician, right? Well, let's persecute more Christians. Let's imprison Peter. And we went over that in, in, in Gary's teaching. There's imprisonment. There's this murder. Uh, and uh, he ends up making this speech and gets killed himself because he didn't give glory to God. But if we notice chapter 12, verses 24 and uh, 25, it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Nothing could stop it. Herod couldn't stop it, and persecution couldn't stop it, and killing one person and putting another person in jail couldn't stop it. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John. So the, the, there, there's a, this gathering, and things are, are really moving. 
chapter 13, we just studied it on, the, on the, one of the Wednesday evenings. Uh, Barnabas and Saul are, are called apart by fasting and prayer. But God says, this is the work which I've called them to do. And there they go on the first missionary journey. Chapter 13, verse 44 and 45 and, uh, is a culmination. And, and Paul brings in two servant passages, Isaiah 42, 6 and 49, 6. And he says, this is what the servant is going to do. He's going to bring the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. This is just a fulfillment of what's been going on uh, the entire time. God, he's preaching to Gentiles, and it's, if, it's as if he's saying God has had you in his mind for a long time. When the Gentiles heard this, it says they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Gentiles rejoicing. Gentiles glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed, those who were set apart, God had an appointment. I'm going to send you today and I'm going to have Peter preach this sermon. And that's the day that you're going to be saved. God is sovereignly working out his plan. As many as been appointed to eternal life believed. Chapter 14, the gospel spreads and persecution spreads. It, it, it's exactly like Amos. They hate him who reproves in the gate. And Amaziah said, look, go back to where you came from. Stop preaching at Bethel. Chapter 14 talks about uh, uh, Lystra and Iconium and all these places. And Paul is, is beaten and chased down by people that hate the gospel. But then we come to uh, uh, chapter 15. And the end of chapter 14 says... They went back to Antioch to tell about the journey, and they stayed no little time. But chapter 15 begins this, uh, this amazing thing that happens. There's a council, and everybody is there. Judaizers come, and they say, no, no, no. Gentiles can't be saved. They have to fulfill the law of Moses. They have to follow that. And the Pharisees come as well. Peter speaks up in chapter 15, verse 7 through, through 11, and he goes through what happened to him with his vision. And he ends, it ends in verse 12 with the council listening to what Paul and Barnabas said. So if you, if you just recap, here are the chosen men. Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Paul, I'm going to show him everything he's going to have to do. And Ananias goes and he opens his eyes and he says, here's your, here's your mission. And these men are on the mission. And then, in verse 13, James answers. And, 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 and this is like, a, what a scene. Peter related about the Gentiles and James says that God will have a people for his name. He ties it to the prophecies but he says the words of the prophets, plural. But he's using Amos just as an example, isn't he? One prophet said what's in our text in Amos. But James says all the prophets said the same thing. God has a plan. God has people. God sovereignly is going to save the Gentiles. And it's been in his plan uh, the whole time. Notice, notice that also in Acts 15, he says, 
just as it is written. If we have the proper view of Scripture, just as it is written means that God said it, and it's written down, and that's the word of the living God. So James says, just as it is written, Amos' quote is being fulfilled, but it's an example of the prophets and the Scripture has the final say. Now, there's some differences in the quotation, and I don't want to be overly technical. But Amos says, in that day, and James says, after these things. And that alludes to Jeremiah 12, one of the prophets who said, after these things, this is what I'm going to do. He talks about the booth, the tent, or the tabernacle of David. And Amos says it's going to be raised up, repaired, re rebuilded, and raised, and James says basically the same thing. It'll be rebuilt and restored. Amos says that they'll possess the remnant of Edom. And in a much broader way, James says that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. There's a micro discussion and there's a macro discussion. We'll look later as we try to apply and, and, uh, and understand it. Edom was a true threat. Edom was a true threat to Israel. And to possess them, that was important. But now the gospel is going out. And where is the gospel going to go? To the entire world. Edom is micro compared to the macro. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. God is going to make people seek the Lord who never, ever, ever even heard. Isaiah says, I'll be sought by people who didn't even know me. It's the promise of the gospel. All the nations who were called by my name, even in, even in Amos, God says, I've got people that are called by my name. And uh, uh, James uses the word Gentiles. Actually, the, the word Gentiles is only in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's nations. All the Gentiles who are called by my name. That's the point. God is saving people that nobody else thought could be saved. And then God underscores it in Amos declares the Lord who does it. And, he, and James says, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. So James is saying the same thing, but he's saying we've known this for a long time. This isn't news. This is what's going on in the church. The emphasis is on the expansion of the gospel uh, that God has promised all along. And declares the Lord, and it is written, Put the issue to rest, at least temporarily, right? You wouldn't have the book of Galatians unless the Judaizers reared their ugly heads, would you? You wouldn't have Paul rebuking Peter unless this issue was still uh, there. But it settles it at least temporarily because James says, I think we should send this letter out and tell all the Gentile converts what to do. And verse 22 says, it seemed good to everybody who was there. So the word of the Lord, and thus says the Lord, has that, that force in that discussion. Now, there's a discussion about the, the differences, but I would say, look at the striking resemblance in the, in the passages. The prophecy is, uh, is fulfilled by these Gentile converts. There's also questions like, what source was James quoting when he said this? Was it the Masoretic text? Was it the Septuagint? Was he just speaking this? Was he just speaking that? Well, I, I want to ask you a question. 
because there's three inspired people here that are saying the same thing. Who are the three inspired people that are saying the same thing? Amos, there you go. James. Peter. Oh. You got us. No, no, no. Who, who wrote the book of Acts? Right. Right? Here's your prophecy, Amos. Here's what you're inspired to say, James. And Luke said, I'm going to carefully figure out everything that happened. And God said, Luke, you write this down for people to know. Three witnesses say the same thing. Amos, James, and Luke, they all concur because it's Holy Spirit inspiration. We have to be careful. Well, this quote isn't exactly like that quote. And this quote does it this. But the Holy Spirit put it there. Luke underscored James' words who underscored Amos' words. And they all said the same thing. Well, then we'll look at the place of David. And this is amazing. Because the place of David just throws the messianic kingdom in our face. It throws all the fulfillments of prophecy right there. And everybody knew that David had something to do with it. In, in 2 Samuel 7, I, I've cut these references out because I can't read them all to, to finish on time. 2 Samuel 7, you can read it. And he tells David, you'll never have somebody that's not sitting on your throne and your throne is going to last. Isaiah 9, 6, from that time, what's going to happen? He will take the, the throne of his father, David, and how long is it going to last? Forever. And many other places. What do they call Jesus sometimes? They call out, Son of David, have mercy on me, don't they? They knew it. They knew it. If, if this guy is doing these things, maybe he's the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, he's the Son of David. And that's what Amos is getting at. Something is going to happen in reference to David. And everybody would say, look at that. Look what God's doing. The, the angel in Luke 132 uh, gives this uh, a prediction. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. There's a fulfilled prophecy. When's David coming back? When the Messiah comes back, what's the Messiah going to do? He's going to take the throne of David. That's what's going to happen. And then, and then, and then Mary, uh, Mary explodes in praise. And, and there's more inspiration. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Zechariah in verse 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people. It's about salvation. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be safe for our enemies, etc., etc., etc. It all points to the coming Messiah. It all points to, to Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. I have the key of David. Isaiah chapter 22 and 22. 
he'll be given the key and no one will be able to open it or lock it unless he does. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. I am the root of David. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There's a stump. It's the, called the stump of Judah. That's the stump. And what comes out of that? It looks like Israel is all chopped down. It looks like it's nothing. But what comes out? The branch. And Revelation ends with the same theme. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. What is he saying? This is the final revelation because absolutely everything is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel. There can't be a better blessing than to be saved. And God's purpose has been that from, from e eternity. He's the messenger. He's the message. He's the fulfillment. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last bit of revelation, all that they can say is, then please come back soon. Because he fulfills everything. We have to remember, we have to remember that Israel is just a conduit of these mercies. Jesus is the sum and the substance and the total. If I'm, if I'm thirsty and I go and turn the tap on, I don't say, wow, what a, what a beautiful faucet. This faucet is really nice. This faucet is special. No, I need the water that's coming out of the faucet. I need the water that's coming out of the faucet. The conduit, the, the pipe, everything else is secondary to my need. And we'll talk about the rebuilding and the restoration that God's doing. Uh, but, but notice... As we look at our passage, it's, it's difficult to, 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 to pass uh, by this because the, that, that's so amazing. But, but th this is what God's doing. Well, if I can find Amos again. So our verses, verse 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, talk about the king, the nations, the earth, the people, and the land. And uh, he'll restore the booth. Or the tabernacle. Uh, a booth or a tabernacle is a, a temporary shelter. It's a picture. Uh, no kingdoms are going to be built. David is not going to have an army. Uh, they understood it as a, as, a, as a spiritual kingdom, even though they, they failed, didn't they? Right? The, the uh, people uh, ate, the, ate all the bread, and then they came to make Jesus king. Right? Let's stick with the physical here. We, we don't want the... We don't want that. But God doesn't restore a physical kingdom. So I think that's why he's using temporary pictures, a, a tent, a booth. E even in Isaiah 53, it says Jesus was cut off before his time. In a sense, his ministry on earth was temporary. Uh, Motir has an interesting suggestion that the, the booth represents the false worship of Jeroboam. And in a sense... He's turning it back on him and saying, 
you made all these booths, you made all these altars. Well, that's the false one. I'll tell you what's going to happen in the real one. The real David is a booth is going to be rebuilt. It's real one is going to be restored. You put on this parody of worship. And yet I'm going to restore the real worship. The people are going to know. People are going to cry out in that day, literally on the streets of Jerusalem and the surrounding things. Son of David, have mercy on me. No palace or castle, no army. And God says, I'm going to put the rightful king and restore him to the rightful place. That's the idea. All the Gentiles who are called by my name, he says. And he knows them and he can find them and he's going to work in history. And all the Gentiles who are called by God's name, those are going to be saved. Amos says it in a limited way, like we said before, you'll possess the remnant of Edom. And the Israelites could say, well, that's good because those Edomites have been a, a pain in our necks the whole time. They're our enemies. They hate us. But it's only small compared to the ends of the earth, isn't it? When God's people are promised in Revelation, and we'll get to that, all your enemies are going to be gone. You can't list all the nations that are going to be against Christianity. You can say Edom is Israel's enemy, but you can't list all the nations that are enemies of Christianity. But the message is the same. One day they're all going to be gone. The gospel of uh, expansion broadens that scope, all nations, all nations. In the Good Shepherd passage, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. He had a purpose. He had a plan. He had a command. And what does he say confidently? And they will listen. If you've, if you've heard the gospel and you've listened, and you've repented from your sin, it's because the good shepherd had sheep that he's saving, and it's his purpose that people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation would be converted and hear his voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One. Ephesians says it over and over. One. Gentiles brought in. What's the result? One, one, one. Not two. One. But then in verse 13 to uh, 15, uh, first of all, there's a, a picture, a symbolic picture of the earth and uh, prosperity. Uh, the normal uh, cycle of things is, is, so, is so exaggerated that it's impossible. If you notice, uh, the, oh, verse 13, the plowman overtakes the reaper. That's impossible. Right? You can't plow for next year's crop while the guy's reaping. So it, it's impossible. The treader of grapes will overtake the one who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. And, and there's, a, there's a problem here because some people say, well, we have to interpret the Bible literally. And if you look for literal fulfillment of this, and they'll say, well, God said it. If you look for literal fulfillment, you won't find it. And what we have to do in the context of Amos, in the context of Revelation, is allow God to use symbolic language to speak to us. What did he say that the land of Canaan would be like? A land with what? What, what was it doing? Flowing. 
Did anybody ever record that? Did anybody ever say, well, look at that milk flowing down there. Well, look at that honey flowing down there. That was a picture. That was a symbol. And yes, it would take two guys to carry a cluster of grapes, but you never saw honey flowing all around or milk flowing all around. This is the same thing. What is God going to do? He's going to make things so plentiful that it'll be amazing. I think it's the gospel. When did it happen? God says it'll happen. And, uh, and people have, have tried to, to force this into this uh, literal interpretation. And I don't think, that, I don't think that's, uh, uh, that's the right way. And you can't partially do it either. Because then you wouldn't have an eye and you wouldn't have a hand, would you? Oh, well, Jesus just speaking symbolically then. You don't really pluck your eye out and cut your hand off. Well, they know that, but some of these other passages, uh, they, they, they don't. And there have been whole systems of teaching uh, based on this, and that's where, that's where you run into trouble, because then people are looking uh, for physical things. There's a, a misunderstanding of the value of, of spiritual blessings as opposed to physical blessings. Would you, would you, rather, would you rather have this picture or be in your land then be saved? And what good is it if you have your land or you have wine or you have something flowing with milk and honey and you're not converted? They're of absolutely no value. And many people are still saying, well, we're still waiting for this. Something has to be built and a highway has to be built. And, and yeah, we're still trying to figure out what Ezekiel's wheels are. But, you know, and, and you can hear all these bizarre things. Oh, well, there are tanks. They're Russian tanks. And this is the Chinese army. And all, you could hear all this stuff. Let God speak in symbols. He always did. He always did. Parables and everything. It's all symbolic language. Well, I never saw a mustard tree grow like that in this one, you know. The health and wealth gospel preys on people who think this way, don't they? Where's your blessing? I've, I've, I've heard it. You don't have a Cadillac? Because you don't have faith to have a Cadillac. Can you imagine that? In the middle of the Bronx, New York, right? You're telling, you're telling people that are barely scraping by that they don't have faith enough to have a Cadillac. But it preys on those people. Nicodemus, you must be born again. What did he think? What was his physical interpretation? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how he was reasoning? What did the woman at the well do? I'll give you this water. You'll, you'll never thirst again. She says, well, that's good because I'm tired of making the trip over here. What is she thinking about? Physical water. The crowd in John 6, we mentioned it already. Wow, he, felt, he filled our stomachs. It would be nice if he was the king. Wherever we went to battle, we'd be full. We'd, we'd have provision. We don't need a supply line. He's the supply line. But what does he say? No, 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 no. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. You have to receive this by faith. It's, we're not taking over. Even the apostles... In Acts 1, verse 6, Lord, when will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
and you, you want to you say, don't you get it yet? It's about spiritual blessings. It's not about physical blessings. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on these guys and they're going to preach all over the place and see amazing things. And they think you're still going to set up this physical kingdom. And many people that uh, now, God's spiritual, powerful activity takes second place to some of these theories and all this stuff. Oh, well, we're waiting for this to happen. And I've talked to people like that. Well, I live in Israel and I know, I really know what's going on. And I've had seen preachers. Oh, the, see that? It, that's the, did you see the newspaper yesterday? That's Ezekiel 20, 20, 20, 20. That's been fulfilled. And nothing can happen unless this highway is built. Nothing can happen. And this happens first. But man has a, has a mistake when he looks for the physical instead of the spiritual. Well, that's great. You'll be brought back into your land. That's great. And that's what happened. But what did Nehemiah have to do? What did Zechariah have to do? What did Malachi have to do? What did Ezra have to do? They had to rebuke the people for the same sins that got them there in the first place. Oh, this is going to be great. We'll be back in the land. We'll have this. We'll be able to plant. We'll have some wine. Everything's great, great, great. No, it's not. Because you're still taking foreign wives. You're still disobeying the Sabbath. And, and you're still false worshiping. In Malachi, God says, if, if I'm your God, where is my honor? They still didn't honor God. It doesn't matter if you have everything in the world. If you're not saved, you do not have anything. Seventy years later, they're back in the land. Fine. Maybe these prophecies were fulfilled. You're in the land. The Lord said it. You're there. But without the salvation that's in the preceding context, you have nothing. Uh, the prophecy of Amos was loaded with pictures and symbols. And we're studying Revelation. It's loaded with pictures and symbols. They're widespread biblical themes. But look at Amos and Revelation compared as we finish. Amos, God will judge Israel's enemies. And they're listed in the first chapter. Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. And you say, good, our enemies are going to be taken away. Well, that's what happened. Secondly, God will punish idolatrous Israel and anybody that, that's not walking the right way. But God also will leave a remnant. We learned that in, in Amos. And God will bring about a glorious gospel-centered future through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation is exactly the same. Who are the church's enemies? Everybody. Everybody. It's global, right? The gospel went global. So where is the church's enemies? Everywhere the gospel goes. What did Paul, what happened to Paul? Everywhere that Paul went, Judaizers follow them. He went to a different city. The next couple of days, here they come. Tracking them down, persecuting. What about the church? Peter says to Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Cappadocia. And what does he say? You're persecuted just like Jesus? 
You're going to be in trial just like Jesus, and you're going to face the same thing as everybody else. Well, who's the enemies of the church? Everybody. But God's going to take care of the enemies. What does, what does God do with the idolaters and, and those who are lukewarm and those who are not living the, the, the right way? He does exactly what Amos does in Revelation. He exhorts them and tells them, get right now. Get right Chapter 1, we looked at it. He shows him his glory. That is Jesus Christ now. You don't have to figure out what does the sword mean and why does he have this girdle. He's in glory. He's in fall at your face as if you're dead glory. That's the thing. And he's telling you to get it right. And God said, I'm going to send Amos and tell my people, get it right. Do it. And he even said, Walk this way, do this, have this attitude, and do that. And that's exactly what Jesus said to the churches. What is he going to do? He's going to leave a people for himself. The fulfillment is in Acts. Who is it? All the people that are called by my name. Can tribulation and peril and trial and sword change the number? Can, 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 can Jesus lose anybody? Revelation is as much as a picture of a sieve as Amos is. Because what is happening to the people of God? They're persecuted. They're blamed. They literally were made into candles. They literally were made into food for starving lions. Literally now their houses are burned. Their heads are cut off. And they're banished from regular society. That is what's happening today. Because now the gospel has gone out. And you say, well, I thought this was good news. I thought this was good news. David's thing is going to be restored. Well, it is good news because one day it's all going to be over. Because the key of David, the son of David, the descendant of David is in charge of the whole thing from the first little piece to the last. And what did he say? I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you can look at all the, the symbols in Revelation and they all mean the same thing. Every world system, whether it's a prostitute or a beast or a bull or anything, is going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken apart. And Paul says, that's what we do anyway. Our battle is not against any physical thing. We pray and we try to tear down Satan's strongholds. We ask for the gospel to spread to somebody that's unconverted, and we're asking Jesus Christ to send the Spirit and break down that person's will and save their soul. We're not waiting for a highway to be built or a temple to be built or anything else because the work is to evangelize. The work is to spread. And then Jesus will tell you, Jesus will tell you, that there is a glorious future that awaits God's people. And chapter 18 and 19 of Revelation sum it all up. It's all Babylon, cast down. Satan, cast down. Beast, cast down. Prostitute, cast down. And what happens? You live in a place where you don't need the sun. You live in a place where the, with, with even the symbolism describes the new Jerusalem. It's, the, it's not a physical place. It's a spiritual place. And you'll never cry again. You'll never have a tear again. That's the message of Amos. That's the message of 
of the book. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of them all. It's written in the prophets. The booth of David is going to be rebuilt by the son of David. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for these things. These are amazing, powerful blessings, Lord. We're thankful that the comfort, protection, and safety of your people is always in mind. And yet, Lord, let's heed the exhortations. Help us not to be idolaters in the heart. Help us not to look for earthly things to satisfy us the most. Help us to look to the Son of David and cry out to him in our time of need. 